From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, we count it a privilege to welcome you to another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, presenting a series of studies on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. Our text for this morning is found in Acts chapter 9 and verse 11. Behold, he prayeth. Prayers are instantly noticed in heaven. The moment Saul began to pray, the Lord heard him. Here is comfort for the distressed but praying soul. Oftentimes a poor broken-hearted one bends his knee, but can only utter his wailing in the language of sighs and tears. Yet that groan has made all the harps of heaven thrill with music. That tear has been caught by God. Thou puttest my tears into thy bottle, implies that they are caught as they flow. The suppliant, whose fears prevent his words, will be well understood by the Most High. He may only look up with misty eye. But prayer is the falling of a tear. Tears are the diamonds of heaven. Sighs are a part of the music of Jehovah's court and are numbered with the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Think not that your prayer, however weak or trembling, will be unregarded. Jacob's ladder is high, but our prayers shall lean upon the angel of the covenant and so climb its starry rounds. Our God not only hears prayer, but also loves to hear it. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble, True, he regards not high looks and lofty words. He cares not for the pomp and pageantry of kings. He listens not to the swell of martial music. He regards not the triumph and pride of man. But wherever there is a heart big with sorrow, or a lip quivering with agony, or a deep groan, or a penitential sigh, the heart of Jehovah is open. He marks it down in the registry of his memory. He puts our prayers like rose-leaves between the pages of his book of remembrance, and when the volume is opened at last, there shall be a precious fragrance springing up therefrom. Faith asks no signal from the skies to show that prayers accepted rise. Our priest is in his holy place and answers from the throne of grace. God's throne of grace is there for you. Come boldly to Him, there's grace. 
of this increasingly secularized and materialistic society, multitudes of men, women, and young people seem to have forgotten that they have immortal souls, and that one day they must stand before a holy God and face the ultimate judgment. Despite every effort to banish the reality of death from the mind, the Word of God declares, "...it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment." How can a person be ready for that awful day? Is there a way to face God without fear? The great 19th-century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon answered this question in a powerful sermon entitled, Preparing to Meet God. Let the Bible Speak now offers a booklet published by the Trinitarian Bible Society, which contains this vital message under the title, Preparing to Meet God. In addition to the sermon text, the publication contains a brief biographical sketch of Spurgeon's life, as well as a schedule for reading the Bible through in a year, all contained in an attractive, conveniently sized booklet. To obtain your copy, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864 2408 That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, you may simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. 
Just ask for your copy of Preparing to Meet God, and we'll be happy to provide it. On the previous broadcast, Dr. Cairns commenced a message dealing with the work of the Spirit in the ministry of Christ, part of this series of studies in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We've seen that the Holy Spirit was deeply involved in the Incarnation. It was through the operation of the Spirit that Christ's sinless humanity came into being and was united with His deity, something totally beyond human understanding. Furthermore, the Bible makes it clear that Christ was indwelt by the Holy Spirit so that every communication between Christ's humanity and His deity was through the Holy Ghost. Again, we are in an area outside man's grasp. Now, Dr. Cairns will continue this message on the work of the Spirit 
in the ministry of Christ. It's a true humanity that our Savior bears because of the action of the Holy Spirit. But we can say because of that divine activity, it was a sinless humanity. See, when you and I are born, we are born of the seed of the man. We are born of Adam's seed with the transmission through procreation of original sin, of the guilt of Adam's first transgression, we being in his loins legally and actually participating in it. We have the guilt of Adam's first transgression. We have the pollution and the corruption of the whole nature. Now that is the liability that belongs to every man that's born of the seed of Adam. But by means of a virgin birth, by the operation of the Holy Spirit in a mighty, supernatural, and sanctifying work, he took of the substance of the virgin and creating a new thing, as the prophet says, compassing the man, setting aside the man, he produced the humanity of Jesus Christ. True humanity. For he was born of Mary. But sinless humanity because of the miraculous intervention of the Spirit of God. Hence the Holy Ghost records in Scripture again and again the sinlessness of Christ. Hebrews 4.15 He was in all points tempted like as we are apart from sin. Without sin. Even in his temptations he was different. Our temptations come from without and from within. We have a Trojan horse as it were within the camp. We have that which reaches out to the external stimulus but when the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted, he was assaulted from without. Within, there was no nature of sin. He was tempted, but without sin. Hebrews 7.26, he is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Peter takes this up in 1 Peter 2.22. He did no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He knew no sin. Peter, I think, sums it up in 1 Peter 1.19 when he calls him the Lamb without blemish and without spot. Here you have the miraculous activity of the Spirit of God in the formation of the human nature of Jesus Christ guaranteeing a true humanity, but a sinless humanity. Now, for the second step. And here I have to confess, I will be at a loss for words. And that's something. Some people think I'm never at a loss for words. Well, I have to confess that I don't know anybody whose words would be sufficient for this subject. We come to think of Christ's indwelling by the Spirit of God. John 3.34, the last line of the verse, we read, 
God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. That is, unto Christ. He gives the Spirit without measure unto Christ. Now, from the very first, this measureless fullness of the Spirit indwelt Christ. We were reading this morning in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, that the Spirit uh, of the Lord should rest upon Christ. And we read the sevenfold description of the Holy Spirit as he perpetually rests on and resides in the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke, in his gospel, takes this up and leads us into a very deep mystery. Luke chapter 2, verse 40, and then verse 52. The child, that is, the child Jesus Christ, grew and waxed strong in spirit. Now, there may be some dispute as to whether that refers to his human spirit, or whether it refers to wax strong in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to fight much over it, but uh, we certainly do need to note the reference to the Spirit. He waxed strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, people, when they read this, often ask some very difficult questions. First of all, how can the one who is the God-man grow intellectually and spiritually? How can that be? Or, putting it another way, how can the one who received the Holy Spirit without measure yet be said to increase spiritually? And this has led to a lot of untoward speculations down through the centuries of church history. Men have come up with various notions that we need to be very careful of. First of all, let me say that it's not your job or mine to be wise above what's written. We believe what the Bible says, and as I said right at the beginning, we will not always be able to explain the being and person of God. But without trying to be wise above what's written, Let's see what we can say. First of all, remember what I emphasized when we were thinking of the Incarnation. That the humanity of Jesus Christ was made of the substance of Mary. Now, underline that. There is an error which we have to avoid at all costs. This is an error that was taken up in the, what was called the sub-apostolic age by a group called the Valentinians. They were a Gnostic sect. And the Gnostics, of course, uh, did not accept the true humanity of Jesus Christ. This is an error that was taken up in the time of the Reformation by certain Anabaptist groups. It was taken up by some of the Quakers, and in the last century, it was also resurrected by some of the early Plymouth Brethren thinkers. Some of them, thankfully, had the wit to abandon it, but others held on to it. They all, in one form or another, spoke of the heavenly humanity of Jesus Christ. 
they speak of Mary as merely being like a channel, merely like a pipe through which God sent a certain blessing. But she herself contributed nothing to the actual formation of the human nature of Jesus Christ. Let me say the scripture says that Jesus Christ was born of Mary. And those words do not allow of any other meaning than the meaning that Mary's very substance was taken in a supernatural way by the Spirit of God and from it was produced by His operation the true humanity of Jesus Christ. We must avoid every notion of a heavenly or otherworldly humanity. And I tell you why. If we abandon the true humanity of Christ, we abandon the salvation of our souls. Because the whole economy of salvation depends upon His true humanity. Let me emphasize this. Throughout the Old Testament there is a picture of the Redeemer. What is called in Hebrew the Goel, the kinsman Redeemer. The only one who has a right before God to enter in and redeem a lost inheritance. The only one who can come in and save those who by their own guilt and folly have been sold out under condemnation is one who is truly bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And if we abandon the true humanity of Christ, we must give up any hope of salvation from God. For there is no salvation save in Him who took flesh, yes, our flesh upon Him. True humanity. Now that's an important thing that we get into our hearts and minds. And it will help us, I think, to understand some of these difficulties when we recognize that in this incarnation, while it was a miracle in which from the moment of its inception this human nature was assumed by the Son of God into personal union with Himself in a way that I can't explain, nor nobody else can explain, though it's true that from that very moment of its inception this human nature was never a distinct person, it never had any uh, personal uh, existence or separate existence except in union with the Son of God. And while it's true that thereby this human nature was greatly exalted, could I say the forerunner of the exaltation of all the sons of Adam who are found in Christ? While that's true, nonetheless, remember the old doctrine of the person of Christ taught in Scripture and established in very clear theological teachings through many centuries of church history. It's called the Chalcedon Statement of Christ's person. Remember this, that the human nature of Christ was never deified and the divine nature of Christ was never humanized. There was no mingling there was no confusion. There was union in one person. But the human nature of Jesus Christ did not become in itself omnipotent, omnipresent, infinite, 
eternal, etc. These are attributes of deity. So the Incarnation didn't deify the human nature. Watch something carefully when you read the Bible. You'll find that everything that the Lord Jesus did, He did by the Spirit. One great writer on the subject of the Holy Spirit said, Nothing was undertaken but by the Spirit's direction. Nothing spoken but by His guidance. Nothing executed but by His power. Now let that sink in. Remember, this is the God-man. And yet, as he walked this earth, he did not act merely by virtue of the fact that he was God in union with the human nature. No, what he did and said was all dependent on the indwelling and infilling Spirit of God. Now that leads me to make a statement that you'll have to think out. I dare say you've never heard it in your life before. So be it. I've never heard anybody say it from the pulpit either, so we're all in the same boat. But I'm going to say it anyway. I think that it may help us to understand this mystery of the indwelling Spirit of God. It would appear to me, since Jesus Christ depended on the Holy Spirit for every word he spoke, every step he took, and every work that he did, that every communication from Christ's divine nature to his human nature was by the Holy Spirit. Or as that same old writer put it, the Holy Spirit is, some mysterious way, the link of communication between the two. I'll sum it up this way. That having formed the sinless humanity of Christ, the Holy Spirit supervised its physical, mental, and spiritual growth, guaranteeing such manifestations of the divine glory and power of the incarnate God as the Spirit in His wisdom deemed proper to the development of the man, Christ Jesus. listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 